Hey everybody, welcome back to the Blister Podcast on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. This past week, I was in the great state of Vermont doing a whole bunch of things, actually, but among those things, I went to Burlington and sat down with Jason Leventhal in the new J-Ski's intergalactic headquarters. Now, Jay, of course, has really been at the forefront of so many different aspects of the modern ski world, and so it is always a good idea to check in from time to time with Jay and to get his take on really the state of the snow sports industry and what he's seeing. And that's exactly what we do in this conversation. So you're going to be hearing some of Jay's predictions for this coming season. We talk about certain trends that he's seeing. We talk about one major thing that has to happen across the entire ski industry. And this is going to take a lot of different players to make this happen. And, of course, we talk about why Jay decided to open up this new space on 247 Main Street in Burlington, Vermont. And one other thing that Jay and I talked about, though we did not keep it in our recorded conversation, Jay was adamant that we should be charging twice as much, actually more than twice as much as we are, for our winter buyer's guide. He actually chewed me out about this. For real, you can ask him, he'll tell you. And so the good news for you is that you can still pick up our winter buyer's guide. You can get the digital edition of the guide or you can get the print edition of it for a silly price, a price that is apparently so low, according to Jason, that yeah, I got yelled at a lot. Our loss is your gain. Pick up the guide. It is quite good. There's not really anything else like it out there. And it also makes a great gift for somebody you know who might just trying to be getting their whole gear situation dialed. So check out the guide. We'll include a link to it in the show notes of this episode. And now let's get to my conversation with Jason Leventhal. Here we go. Well, I am here at 247 Main Street in Burlington, Vermont, at the new headquarters, do we say? Intergalactic headquarters. Intergalactic headquarters for Jay Skis. I'm here with Jason Leventhal. Jay, how are you? Busy. (laughs) (laughs) And the the address, it's actually 24-7, which is pretty cool if you think of it that way. 24-7. Yeah, that's how we go, too. Well, we've been... Talking for actually quite a while now, going on four hours, four plus hours. I got here at 6 p.m. The day I told you I was fueled entirely by cider donuts. I ate six of them today. Cider donuts, coffee, and then nothing else until we had dinner. You had some good IPAs too, of course. Oh, we had some good IPAs. We did have that. So yeah, it is now exactly 10.15 p.m. on the East Coast. I thought we should catch up with you. You know, I was in the area and I thought it's been a minute since we caught up with Jay. 
So here we are. And I think the first thing we should talk about is this space we're in. Yeah. Yeah. So we bought this building with the help of a bank, of course, <laughs> for the mortgage. But um, yeah, we got our, our headquarters here now. And I've spent the last five months just become, I guess, uh, assistant to the assistant to the regional uh, general contractor here because construction crews are so busy. So I've kind of been by default the uh, lead constructor and we've had plumbers, electricians, we've had crazy problems with the building and five and a half months later, they're finally done. And now we're decorating it and um, we're sharing this, the retail store with Ski the East. So it's a pretty cool collab there. And then we're ha we have a lounge and a bar. Um, we want to have a space that's just super inclusive of all things skiing and snowboarding and uh, more than just retail, but a place that, you know, whether you're 12 years old or you're retired, you can come in, ha crack a cold one, watch some ski movies, share stories about skiing, just like you would in the base lodge at the end of the day or in the parking lot sitting on a cooler. And they're really, for such a ski town, there just is no central place when a movie ski movies come into town there's no go-to place that represents the sport and i wanted to have you know a place where skiers even snowboarders can you know come into town whether it's autographs or movie premieres or events or get-togethers kind of have a home base so that's what it's all about when did you start thinking about something like this yeah this, it's been on my mind for many 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 years usually i stew on things for a long time, let it marinate. And I eventually there was enough of our customers just asking for, Hey, we're, we're coming into town want to visit, want to stop by, want to see your place. We really didn't have one. We had, you know, an office where five people on laptops, half of us sometimes working from home. And so the first thing in the last couple of years was like, it would be cool to get a little spot, like right on the main strip somewhere in Burlington. And uh, I started looking around and eventually just bumped into someone that was renting space that actually owned this building. It was a hair salon, said it was, he was up for selling it. And um, yeah, a couple months later, I was like, all right, let's do it. And I've had thoughts for anything from a tiny little place to like what we're actually going, we're going all in. Like, it's crazy. We got 300 year old barn board I found <laughs> from like a 300 year old house that was being dismantled. I put 1700 square foot of barn board on the wall. We've got like, just like barn beams. And we've just really built this place out to feel like you're in the base lodge of a mountain, which is rad. And um, yeah, I just always had felt like there needed to be a home base off the mountain. And this is a town with four colleges. Tourists come through here for skiing. Summer and winter skiers are in this town. And yeah, I want to, just have a place to hang out. <laughs> so is there a bit of an irony here that Jay Skis was very much started as kind of an online company yeah. that we are very much moving into a very real physical space? Yeah. I'll tell you, digital is a million times easier in a lot of ways now that I tried to actually build <laughs> something. I mean... We have five people selling 6,000 skis a year online. We're going to have probably seven people just trying to sell a hundred skis in a store, you know? So it just becomes 
it's so much more complicated. I've got a new respect for retail, but we're not a retailer selling someone else's product. We're selling our own product. So we're still selling our product direct to our customers. We're talking, having conversations. We know we're getting to know our customers. Um, we're simply doing it in person instead of online. So even though, yes, we're retail, this is far from selling through a distributor, through a salesperson to eventually a store to eventually a customer. We're still selling direct. That's, that's the realness of that. Still on that model. All right. Yeah. Okay. But you are really passionate having just talked for the last four plus hours about this. You are really passionate about this kind of gathering space. That's interesting. I mean, and you, I think we can say you are not like, this is this new massive revenue generator. Right. That's not the way you actually are talking about this or approaching this. And so I guess it still is a bit interesting to me that you are so passionate about this physical space being a place that skiers and riders can come hang out and kind of have a spot. Yeah. Well, the, the thing is, um, it's, it definitely is more work and it's going to be more cost. Like I've never gone into business with anything saying, this is how we're going to make money. So let's do it. Yeah. Like the drive is always based on me as my own customer, really as a skier thinking, what would I like to exist? You know, in the early days, as I want a twin tip skier, I want a fatter skier, side cutter, a flex pattern or whatever it is, or cool graphics you know, or Brandon skiing that did this and that. And this is just another example of that. I never went into it saying, this is the best way to make money. If I want to make more money, I wouldn't be in the ski business, right? I'm doing it because I'm a skier. I want to share that passion with other skiers and inspire. And um, that's just an extension of that. It's going to be, if anything, a cost. You could say it's a marketing cost and eventually we'll break even, you know, and maybe make some money because we need to pay people you know, to help make it all happen in the space. It ain't cheap and it's a big risk for sure. Um, but I think it's worthwhile and everyone I've spoken to and shared the idea with thinks it is. And I'm not the first to do it. You know, like RMU is a big inspiration, what they've done in Colorado and their other locations. But this is a bit different than that. Um, that, that seems a little more bar first. We're a lot more experiential first so we're going to have like memorabilia on the walls from you know oh i remember that ski from 40 years ago or 20 years ago or last year like you know autograph posters and that was the first rear entry boot or that was you know so there'll be a lot of storytelling on the walls of this place and people will come into town and that are skiers and feel at home there you know, where if you just go to a bar, if you just want to go get wasted for the night, be out to 2 a.m., that's not the place. This isn't the place. We're going to close at 8 during weekdays, 10 on weekends, but we're going to have cool events, movie premieres. We can have up to 100 people in here. There's 3,000 square feet to do events. Um, and even in the summer, we can expand into who knows what. You know, other, other groups, other brands, other people can use this space as they like-minded people as well. So I think there's just... It doesn't exist. It certainly doesn't in Burlington specifically. Um, we're not the first ski company to offer beer, but that's not really what it's all about. We want a 12-year-old kid to come in, have a soda, have a snack, watch a ski movie, pull up on their phone what they, you know, their their day of skiing yesterday and show their buddies and on the big screen and 
you know, just share the the love of the sport. Hmm. You've tended to be at the front of trends. I think that's fair to say in the ski industry prediction time do you anticipate more brands trying to create spaces like this i hope so i mean i think of myself as a kid going into a skate shop you'd sit on the couch you'd buy some stickers off the shelf you know you watch a skate video or whatever and walk out with something maybe um and it just felt like at home like if you're a teenage kid you can go home you can go to school you can do a sport like where can you actually hang out? You know what I mean? Of like a place to get, get out with your friends. And so, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I think there's, I think there's a trend away from going to a store to buy a product and there's a trend towards going to a place to have an experience. That's what I'm trying to provide. Hmm. Yeah. It's like, why do you go to the hard rack cafe for dinner? Like, do they make really better burgers? No. Is the beer better? No. You want, the experience around you, you know, it's the guitars, it's the music, that's what you're into. So think of it as like a ski themed bar and lounge shop, you know, it's instead of rock and roll, it's skiing in that sport. And it, it that exists everywhere outside of the sport. You know, there's themed, you go to Disney World, there's a million different themes, theme park, it's called, you know. So I... I don't know where it'll lead eventually in this building. We have offices in the back, so it's business in the back, party in the front. But <laughs> but we could change this building however we want. That's the beauty of it. I spent the last five months, you know, waking up, being here at 7 a.m. with the contractors, with construction crews, figuring out what we want where, and and we can keep changing this place, which is rad. And we'll just discover. I mean, we have a, a list of a thousand ideas we want to put into this. You know, whether it be a night for doing this and that or, you know, decorating the walls with magazine covers, you know, like we can do anything we want and there'll be, all I could say is I have no idea where this is going. I just know where I'm starting. (laughs) (laughs) I like it. Take the leap, figure it out on the way down. Yeah. Let's talk predictions for this coming winter. Predictions and or trends. You can kind of go in either of those directions. What are you either seeing right now or what kinds of predictions do you have for this coming winter season? In terms of like snow predictions? Or- no, anything related to the snow <laughs> sports industry. So if you want to start with snowfall, what are you like the... What's oh, I it, don't know, man. Puxitani Phil, how do we say that? No, I, I always hope. You know, I hope for the best, but ready for the worst. So I always hope for lots of pal, but if it's not good, I'm I'm ready to be happy skiing yeah. ice, you know. Yep. But uh as far as uh I think that the ski industry as a whole last season had some serious positive wins in its sales from COVID. You know, the one positive thing from COVID was any outdoor brands and product and participation was just way, way up. And I think just humans in general forget quickly. The reality is that's not normal. 
So where last year, people that hadn't skied in 10, 20 years suddenly were buying skis and tickets and passes and going skiing. And that's great. I mean, there's nothing I want more than more people skiing, even though I got to admit, of course, I complained the lift lines are long and whatnot. But at the same time, I reminded myself, hey, this is what it's all about, like get more people out there enjoying and supporting the sports and the brands. So I think this year, there's just a reality. I mean, mountain bikes, you couldn't get them last year. This year, they're overstocked. They're people that are on sale because people have other things to do, other things to spend money on. And that's going to be the same as skiing. There's going to be less people on the hill and there's going to be less people buying new product. And a lot of people bought new stuff last year, so they're going to just be happy using it. So I don't think that bump of sorts in like increased participation product purchase is going to exist this year that existed last. It'll be down a little bit. Hmm. That's all. Okay. Let's go to trends. So I asked you the question of, do you think that more brands might start to open kind of these hangout spots, but what other trends are you seeing? We'll keep this one. Well, yeah, I think we'll keep this one specific to the ski industry. Mm-hmm. Unless you're like, no, actually what I've been paying to is what's happening over on the snowboard side of things. And I guess you're welcome no, to get that. It. Yeah. So what's a trend in skiing? Yeah. Well, the trend in skiing, it's been a 20-year trend of first going to the extremes of ski design. So it was like full-on twin-tip symmetric skis early on then and side deep side cut. And then fat, fat skis and then rocker skis, all of which were going through their own cycles of being going to the extremes until the point where, wait, this is too much. I'm losing performance going this much and reeling it back in where, you know, we're, we're almost done with that process of, you know, even rocker being too extreme and coming back in so that now skis in general, their design are a lot, lot more versatile, which is an overplayed word, of course, but the rocker, you don't have to go so much, you do just enough where you're getting a lot more float in the pal without going wide. So now you don't need it as wide. The flex doesn't need to be as soft or as stiff. The side cut, everything's dialed in so that most people can have pretty much a 100-ish waist ski and do most of everything except for that rare pow day. Or if they're on the East Coast, they have that like mid 90s ski and then they go a little over for that one pow day where. So, so yeah, I think it's just all been tested all levels of the extremes and brought into like a ski that can do far more than ever could. And I'm sure people, and we said that past years, but it's really there now. I mean, we've got nine models in our line and we can do, we rarely have someone that says, Oh, you don't have what I need, you know? And a lot of brands have had 25 models, you know? And some of that is because of freaking retail shops want every single price point, every single width, or the brand thinks they have to provide that. But the reality is you don't, not with the shapes and the designs today. Nine models can go everything from a pure park performance to a pure pow performance and, and anywhere in between. So simpler, less doing, getting more out of less Mm -hmm. is where it's gone and going. What's the narrowest ski 
in the we just added a 90 because in a 92 in the last two years because we realized that was happening is people had already hit their max and realized that you know what a little narrower actually gives me some advantages that i kind of missed the last couple of years riding those wider skis mm-hmm. oh yeah like i want that fat rockered super lightweight ski like all those extremes and then they're like oh it's kind of chattery oh it's doesn't carve quick you know it's not stable and they bring it back in to something that's like right in the sweet spot mm-hmm. you and i were talking a bit earlier about the fact that we're not exactly seeing a ton of new ski companies starting up right now. It feels like that's quieted a bit from where it was maybe five to 10 years ago. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, well, I mean, everyone wants to live the dream. And I, when I say live the dream, like live what you are passionate about and have a job relating to what you're passionate about and people should but you don't have to make a ski to do that if you're a passionate skier and you want to work in the ski business like you could be a realtor of you could be an accountant you can be i mean a million things the ski industry it's all involved you know there's resorts there's brands there's retail there's manufacturing there's distribution there's all these things so but it was never easy to start. I guess it's easy to start a ski company. Yeah. It's really hard to maintain one. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, I mean, what's the reason? Maybe because there's enough brands already fulfilling all the different niches. I mean, I started a ski company because I wanted a ski that didn't exist. And I'm pretty sure most people that start a ski brand, that's their intention. And now you've got dozens and dozens, I don't know how many brands, all in multiple niches images, performance categories, manufacturing, not manufacturing, different locations that represent different places. Mm -hmm. There's not as many opportunities to create something that doesn't already exist. So I think that there's less people thinking, oh, I got to do something to give, to to create something for skiers that doesn't exist. And now, you know, so that, yeah, I guess that's, that, that might make sense. Yeah. I think I agree with that. I don't, I don't look at the market and think this is so stupid. Nobody is making right. this or that or that or that. Like we have it. I mean, we say this a lot at, at Blister. Like it's quite a good time to be a skier. You uh, know, yeah. Backcountry gear is getting better and better for inbounds skiing companies are doing a nice job of covering the gamut in snowboarding. I mean, the split side of things is getting far more dialed than it's been. So it's, it's a good time, but I do think that means you and I at least aren't seeing the big opportunity for the new ski company to come in and sort of rock everybody's world. Mm -hmm. So if anybody out there who's listening to that and is like, well, you're wrong, like, well, cool. Then we'll, you know, we will be, we will be the surprised ones. But um, yeah. And then it's hard to sustain it too. You know, there's plenty of brands that kicked ass or worked really hard and they're now gone. You know, it's like, it's a very fragile it's a very fragile business. You only got five months to do 12 months of business. And 
there's a lot of competition because there's a lot of people and brands that exist for the passion, not because they're making money. So you've got, you're competing with companies that aren't even sustainable. You know, they aren't being realistic, but they still exist because someone wants to live the dream and put money into it. So you've probably got an unrealistic the high proportion of competition mm -hmm. for how small this industry is. So maybe this is the right follow-up question and no cop-out answers here. <laughs> Do you think we will see more consolidation in the next say two to three years in the ski industry? So if you had to say, will we either see more new companies start in the next two to three years or a greater number of companies sort of closing their doors. Yeah. First off, in the last 20 years, skiing has only decreased participation. Number of skis have only decreased, like, and they will continue to because there's not only more distractions out there, more things people can do, right from just like looking at their phone instead um, and spend money on for other experiences but there's also, um, you know, the climate change is real. Like when I was a kid, I'd watch like some, you know, movie about how survival it's going to be. And it's going to be these like fires and desert, you know, these like lush lands are going to turn into desert and it's not going to rain. I mean, I'm like seeing things that I used to watch on like a National Geographic show that was like, someday if this happens, it's like, it's actually happening. Mm -hmm. And there will be a time, I don't want to be down and out, but there will be a year where there doesn't snow. There just will be. I mean, there's been years when there's not enough snow or it's not epic snow, but like it, there's that battle as well. And I don't know if like there's enough. So people only change what they're what they're doing because they it's either more cost effective or more convenient no one in the history i i believe anyway has ever said i'm going to start doing this like i'm going to spend more money so that the earth doesn't the climate doesn't change like they'll spend less money to get an electric car you know what i mean or they'll get an electric car because it's more convenient but to get the entire human race to stop polluting earth is going to have to come from cost savings and convenience on the consumer side to motivate all those people. Hmm. And it has to be at a rate that's, again, I don't want you doom gloom and there could be some invention that just changes it overnight, but like coming back to the ski business, we rely on snow, every single retailer, every single manufacturer, the only thing they talk about in December, is it a good snow year or a bad snow year? Because that's what we're snow farmers per se. Yeah. Like that's what they refer to ourselves. Like if it's a good snow year, we're, we got a great crop. We're going to have a good business. And if it's not, it's not. So you not only have without question, a declining participation, declining sales, regardless of climate change, but then you also have climate change. So like it's going to decrease and there'll be less brands because of that. There'll be less to go around to survive. And even today, there's a lot of brands that are surviving off investors that are willing to put money in for the first five years and eventually give up if they don't hit that critical mass. The, the good thing I would say on a positive note is we can sell product online and, and able to sell a far less amount of product and still run a profitable business because we're 
selling directly to the consumer and we're not taking that profit and dividing it among salespeople, distributors, and, and retailers. And there's nothing wrong with retailers. I love retail. If I could sell to retail and finance my business off that, I would. I just can't at my size. I'm too small. So, but it is now possible, unlike 10 years ago, to run a business that sells 5,000 skis and you're perfectly financially healthy. Hmm. You know, back in the day, you have to do 40,000 hmm. because you make so little off each pair. Hmm. So that was a big roundabout story right there. <laughs> A lot of fun facts. A lot of facts, I guess. <laughs> or maybe not facts. Maybe I just make it up as wow. I go. Maybe I don't know shit about this. But that's what I think anyway. <laughs> well, I think the actual question was, if you had to choose, do you see more consolidation Definitely. happening? Yeah. Because of all that. Yeah, yeah. Like all that shit's playing into consolidating. Yeah. You can't have all that happening and say, hell yeah, it's yeah. booming. Yeah. There's no opportunity to grow. The only opportunity to grow is take market share from the biggest brands out there and yeah. let them decline a little bit, which happens too. I still think that there are lots of opportunities when you talk about skier visits declining over the last 20 years. We are not an industry that is dialed on introducing right. people to the sport. Like That's the kindest way. It's a huge problem. And where we're, I would actually say more realistically is we're terrible at this. Yeah. And so I think that's something where a lot can and needs to be done in terms of the whole initiation process. Mm -hmm. Some of the numbers I've, I've read and seen are pretty staggering. Like the number of people who try skiing oh, for the first time sure. and then never do it again. And it is also funny to me because I like will hear certain folks, usually old people that are real set in about, you know, they're often people complaining about wide skis but it's like, well, everybody needs to be on a 70 millimeter carving ski for day one and then learning proper carving technique. And I'm like, that's not the day one experience for <laughs> the vast majority of people. And my whole thought is day one, you should put people on equipment that lets them get comfortable to these very new, very foreign sensations of just trying to like not fall down mm -hmm. as you're making your way down a slope. No one on day one is like putting a ski on edge totally. and really feeling those edges and like, ah, yeah, I'm pretty sure on my fourth run ever in my life, I'm really like figuring out how to properly exit a turn. Like right. that's not, I don't know where these notions No, they're came. designed for Olympic racers originally yeah. and yep. shit. Yeah. So I think that that, there needs to be and ought to be a lot of rethinking and a lot of investment in time and pedagogy. And we've talked about rental skis in the past to make this a sport where we have a far less terrible rate of people trying the sport for the first time and then like being like, I'm never doing this again. Yeah, I 100% agree with you. That's the biggest problem we have for sure. It's almost like a conversion rate. They say when you're selling stuff, you know, yeah. converting into customers. Yeah. 
And if you go one day, I've had this conversation so many, I've just had it the other day with anyone who walks in this building is like, oh, I tried skiing and forget about that. Oh man, I'll never get back out there. I've had that conversation like with people working on this building like three times in the last month. Like most people don't go back, back to it again for every reason you said. Like one, it's expensive. There's so many obstacles. Like the cost, then the cold discomfort if you don't have the right gear, then someone actually teaching you properly. Because most people are like, yeah, my brother brought me up and just left me at the yeah. top and I made it down. I'll never go back. And so like you have to hold their hand and then you got to get them back again. Mm-hmm. So that requires, that requires uh, collaboration between a mountain to get them to the hill affordably and often for the first year, or a, a, a shop or a man, a brand getting the product on them that is fit for them, and and then three, someone actually making sure they go and they're doing the right introduction to the sports. So they're not falling their ass all day, mm-hmm. and I I don't want to like claim it because I hope I come through with this, but like I've had this idea for so long to try to try to get to that point where I could like somehow rally all those ingredients and like create a program of some sort. But this industry, as small as it is, does not work together very much at all. I mean, a resort works with, uh, with Mountain Dew far more than they work with any ski brand. You know what I mean? Like there, you're going to see a monster energy like shit all over the mountain, but you're not going to say like, we're working with marker bindings and vocal skis to introduce you, like come out for $99 and have your first five lessons all taken care of. And we'll have a bus that pulls up to your local shop in town and drives you an hour and a half to the mountain. Like there's no collaboration of any sort like that. Hmm. So it's, it would take a lot. It just does. You know, hmm. ski clubs are probably the best thing I've seen. I was, my kid was in middle school. I was, the chaperone in the ski club we go to bolton it's like 35 minutes from the school and i watched kids go from i've never skied i don't even know how to spell ski to like skiing on their own and it's awesome but there was like a bus showing up at yep. their school they got off they had the equipment they had the lessons it it takes a lot but if you can give it to them they're a skier for life for sure hmm there's your next project. Oh, it is. Yeah. I, I, I am going to do it. It's just going to take a lot. And yeah. it requires follow-up constantly and of things that you really can't totally control. But I think there's a way. Yeah. And I mean, just for anyone in the industry <clears throat> listening to this conversation, my God, talk about a moment of like self-interested preservation right like (laughs) right it's the most important thing you do is get new customers everyone's worried about just convincing someone to show them a better price on a ski then it yeah there's a lot of broken things in this business the older the business the more broken usually it is Mm -hmm. and convoluted and whatnot and this is a pretty old one you know but really truly major opportunities on this front too so it's a good point for sure we could end up actually growing it it would just take investment and collaboration for a lot of different people and a lot of different places you can't just do it in one spot yeah whole country whole world huh all right good we got that on the agenda item (laughs) to-do list yeah the (laughs) to-do list (laughs) because both both you and i needed to add something to the to-do list add another million skiers by next year check (laughs) we'll get on it
Well, come to think of it, the hour is getting late. I think we did just put a rather major thing on the list of really what is actually the entire ski industry. So maybe maybe our work actually is done here tonight. Maybe we tonight. can retire now. <laughs> no. <laughs> we came up no. with the idea. No. We're done. No. no. <laughs> May the force be with you. <laughs> no. no. I, I'm pretty, I don't like those kinds of people. I don't think you do either. Who are like, hey, you know what y'all should do? Put the idea down and they're like, okay, cool. Bye. And then like they leave. <laughs> we'll be back when you're done. <laughs> yeah, no. I, it's, I don't think that's how either of us roll, but... I, I do like that um, maybe we've put some food for thought out there to yeah. different players in many aspects of the snow sports industry. I think that's a good thing. Yeah. But yeah, it's also 11 o'clock. I'm. That's usually what I take lunch. <laughs> 11 p.m.? Okay. Um, I'm, I'm eyeing up that couch right there I'm, I'm supposed to technically head back to stow now so i need to figure out where i'm sleeping tonight dude the futon in the office is very comfortable okay all right it's, it's on the table well we'll sort this literally, out literally you'll be sleeping on the desk <laughs> the desk. but hey man it's cool to be here yeah. and um i am psyched to be back in vermont and back in burlington and uh and always fun to catch up with you and kind of get your perspective here. on the thanks state for, of things thanks for the shout yeah man well i'm gonna either crash on that couch or leave but uh hope this winter gets off to a good start for you guys and we've talked a lot about the blister summit and so we've got a your team wants to be They're out hyped. there Sounds like they're, they're gonna going to be regardless. Okay. This guy Ty, we just hired, is like came in just to go to the. I think he wanted a job just to go to the blister summit. <laughs> so, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, I'm still trying to talk Jay into making it out. He he's starting to I'll get go to it. ski. I just don't want to have to adjust bindings. No, you. I I'll promise you'll be just skiing with people the whole going time. Going skiing is a good reason to get on a plane. I yes. It's, I'm telling you, this yeah. is what we do there. So okay. you and Ty yeah. was already, Ty yeah. made offers. Ty yeah. and I were both like, you aren't going to be merely. He's quitting if he doesn't go to the blister summit. Yeah. <laughs> Ty, <laughs> ties in, ties in. So look forward to seeing you in yeah. Crested Butte then because yeah. you will be skiing. Yeah. And uh, But yeah, I hope uh, I hope things get off to a great start to this winter for you and everyone else in the New England area. Hey, and I got to say, congrats on Blister. It's yeah. unbelievable what you guys have achieved. You yeah. got a killer team putting reviews together that like no one else is ever going to put that time and effort and focus into. So it's incredible when I get a book freaking <laughs> in my mailbox. Like, I don't know, what is this, 200 pages or? 240. Holy crap. So yeah, there's nothing more thorough and I know how much work that takes to be mm. that, you know, detailed on it as well so there's a reason there's only one blister out there only you're the only one psycho enough to spend that much time so thanks for doing it anyway <laughs> thanks thanks for being the only your old crew thanks for being the only one psycho enough to do it well thank you yeah we yeah. Uh, we do have a great crew and we try hard so uh certainly do yeah all right all right man till the next time Word. till cb that's right all right i'll talk to you soon bye 
Well, that's it for this edition of the Blister Podcast. I want to say thanks to Jay for the hospitality and for the conversation. And if you are following Jay Skis on Instagram or getting their newsletter, I know you will be among the first to hear when their new shop is opening. And yeah, you should absolutely go check it out if you are in the Burlington area. Now, I also want to say thanks to Taylor Ahern for producing this episode, and thanks to you for listening. And from the entire team here at Blister, please take good care of yourself and everybody else, and we will talk to you again later this week on our Off the Couch podcast, our Crafted podcast, our Bikes and Big Ideas podcast, and then Friday over on our Gear 30 podcast. So check those out. We'll talk to you soon and take care.